Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Sunday. Probably doing some shows on Sundays now that the USC Trojans are back on the gridiron. We got to see a football game on Saturday morning over the weekend. The Trojans defeat the Arizona State Sun Devils 28-27. to We're going to talk all about that game with the coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website HarveyHyde.com. We got some questions from you. We got emails. We got voicemails. We got texts. You can do that. Contact us if you have any questions for us. Let us know who the question's for, and you can send an email to podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can send a text or a voicemail. Give this number a call or send it a text, 424-254-9141. Like I said, we got some of all of those today. And if you have Apple Podcasts on any of your Apple devices, please leave us a five-star rating and positive review. Any comments, feedback, suggestions, we do really do appreciate it. It helps to grow the show. And we are now in our 13th season uh, talking about the USC Trojans. And Coach Harvey Hyde's been there the whole way. Coach, how you doing, man? We had a, we had some Pac-12 football, some USC football over the weekend. We did. Thank goodness we got another start here with the Pac-12. Uh, I guess we should call it the Pac-8. Really, <laughs> do you realize, this? Do you realize uh, Ryan, there's still four teams that haven't played? Next week, USC plays Arizona. Arizona still hasn't played. They're 0-0, zero and zero. Utah, Washington, Cal. They didn't get an opportunity to play, and I think that's a big advantage for the Trojans as far as playing their first game, big game. I call it championship game of the Pac-12 South. Now they just have to stay focused and do what they need to do until, you know, a scary Utah is there in, a, in, in Salt Lake City. But it was a great win. Uh, they they came from behind. A lot of people it looked dipped. Can you imagine, Ryan, if it had been in the Coliseum in the third quarter on a regular afternoon? Now, right now, the game would have had about 35, 40 minutes left and have been over with. And we're taping this at 10 minutes to 12 on a Sunday. Already, we'd have been in the fourth quarter or about in the fourth quarter. But if they'd have been down by 13 in the fourth quarter, but about three or four minutes to go, people would have been booing and leaving the Coliseum. They would have missed all of that. They actually would have. That's a good point. Um, I think Peter Arbogast talked about it on the broadcast or either afterwards that he was getting some texts from people that were basically going to go on about their day and uh, go somewhere else and, and not not listen or watch the game anymore. So, yeah, I think if there were people in the stands, a lot of them would have left. So we had a great game, a great win, 28-27. You had three minutes of great football, two minutes and 52 seconds, where everything went right for the Trojans. When you look at it, they had a Hail Mary and a fourth down play, and you couldn't practice that play. It was a, a tip ball, and there's McCoy standing right there. He couldn't even believe he caught it either. He thought about it for a minute and raised his hands, and everybody else thought about it for a minute and got excited. Then they came back on the field and got the onside kick, which was unbelievable. They got that. And Malapai ran up and down the sideline. Then they had another fourth down play at legal procedure. So now it made it fourth and nine. 
and a perfect play, one that they had planned and one they should have thrown earlier in the game with the middle of the field open. They hit Jackson earlier in the game with that but never came back with it. Throw it to a big receiver, London, who was having a great game. Defensive backs hate him because he's big and he's hard to knock down, plus he's bigger than they are. A perfect play, and the Trojans get that win. But it was scary on that last drive with about a minute to go until he threw that incomplete pass, Daniels. Yeah, for sure. I was uh, I rewatched it again this morning, most of it. And, uh, I mean, the last 252, you're talking about 57 minutes, pretty much it, a lot of things didn't go right for the Trojans. There was four turnovers. Uh, you know, the USC got a couple of turnovers from Arizona State, but turned it over right afterwards or soon afterwards. Uh, a couple of fourth down stops, you know, turnover on downs. There was a lot of bad things that were happening and self-inflicted wounds. Um, Keaton Slovis had to throw the ball 55 times. And I, you know, maybe we'll talk about this first coach. Uh, he was 40 of 55 with a pick could have been two picks. Um, you know, he did throw for 381 yards and a couple of touchdowns. But when I watch him throw the ball, you know, for just watching Keaton Slovis, you know how good he can be. He made, he put some balls on the money deep, but the balls to me, coach looked like they were fluttering. So Keaton to me, looked like something was a little bit off, but, he was still an effective quarterback, maybe not as efficient, the high percentage that he's, uh, you know, that you're used to when he had the highest percentage in FBS history for a freshman last year. But, you know, I I think the deep ball still got delivered pretty, pretty well, but a lot of the passes, even some of the short ones looked like they were wobbly to me. I agree with you. I didn't think he had his better day. Uh, I think a lot of it wasn't all his fault. I think a lot of it, he was throwing in the coverages. As far as the routes that were called, it was hard. The receivers were facing a lot of zone, and they weren't crossing routes, and all of that don't help in zones. And the outside was taken away, and the middle of the field was taken away. They were running that, and running the football is so important. And you always hear me talk about the running game and how important that is. And I think that they have four great running backs, and if they were just to stretch the field a little bit more to the outside with the running game rather than the quick screens, that's their outside running game is try to hit the bubble screens, the quick screens, and the swing pass to the back out there that if they were able to keep him or move the pocket for him a little bit where he could throw on the run and have some drag routes and options, I think they'd be a lot better off. But, you know, when you run that one-back offense and your your quarterback is not an athlete, as Daniels was, and others that you're going to see this year, I think, uh, you hurt yourself. So it wasn't all him. I think it was a lot of combination of not having the rhythm that was necessary and not doing what was necessary to win that football game as far as on the offensive side of the ball. But they did enough. They got the, they got lucky. But uh, good teams make their own luck, so you can't take that away. You're in the right place at the right time. Get that onside kick, and uh, you're, in, you're, in, you're in business. So... And you're right. When you get two turnovers in the red zone and you don't come up with any points, Ryan, that's not good. And you hear me talk about short yardage offense all the time, having some idea of what you're going to run. Now, Clay Helton, for some reason, likes to go on fourth down a lot, but he doesn't have a philosophy on what play you're going to run, or you don't stretch it, and you don't have a jumbo or two tight ends or three tight ends or an I formation or something. You still run it from your regular type of – uh, set that you do and you bring your split receivers in. Are you kidding me? And put him in a tight end type of position and expect to get the yard. You don't. You don't get that. And he doesn't keep the ball. So you know that you're, if you're going to run it, they're going to come right up the middle. I think you're better off throwing a short out or a fade or a tight end pop or something than rather run into the middle of, of the of a, a field like that and get you know shut down and 
have that happen. So, you know, you learn a lot. You hope that you're able to win and learn a lot, and that's what they're looking forward to getting into the second week. Yeah, the um, the second week, I think it'll be against a team that's not as good in Arizona. We didn't get to see them this past week. But I think one of the things we talked about, you know, you thought the skill guys would be good, you know, on, on offense. The issues were going to be on the offensive line. I thought, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker was good out there. I, I think Jalen McKenzie might have had one penalty, but most of the struggles, and I, you know, I, I watched it through, but it wasn't like I was staring at the offensive line the whole time. I tried to watch a bunch of them. It seemed to me, coach, up the middle where there was a lot of problems. We know that there were some, I think, two, two third and ones that, that got shut down and a couple of fourth and ones, or one of them got shut down and the other one, uh, Marquis Step fumbled on. Um, you know, they struggled in, in some of those short yard situations, but the, the, the push up the middle and giving up some sacks, I saw like a stunt where Liam Jimmins, uh, didn't switch to the guy he was supposed to switch to and ends up giving up a, a big sack to, for Slovis. Um, I, what did you think about the, the offensive lines performance with the run game and pass protection? So, so I would give him a C plus. I think that that Arizona state's game plan was to punish the offensive line and test them. If they had a weakness on the uh, offensive side of the football, it would be going into that game. The offensive line wouldn't be the quarterback or running backs or receivers. So you're going to pressure Solich and you're going to do it. But with the offensive line, you have an offensive line that's experienced. But as we've said, that uh, Tucker is probably the, the best one on the offensive line. So why not challenge your, your first-time starters? And uh, that's Jimmins and, uh, and the centers and uh, that side of the line, McKenzie. And they did that. They dominated. The guys owned the field there. And if uh, Solitz hadn't ducked out a couple of times and rolled out and made a couple of passes, uh, he would have been sacked more. He would have been sacked more. So uh, they're so-so, and I think that's where they're going to get their challenge most of the year because on the offensive side of the football, you have it all. Uh, you just got to be able to block and move the football. And I think you'll help yourself a lot more if you do the things I said as far as stretching the field with the run more so they can't load up inside and do that on you and take what someone's giving you. And uh, and uh, they don't do that. They, they seem to have a, a problem with repeating something that works. Uh, don't be afraid to run something until they stop it. That's my philosophy. Run it, run it, run it until they stop it. Early in the game, they were throwing a lot of passes to London on the outside, and he was just punishing those defensive backs. I couldn't get over with how tough he was as far as spinning and falling forward and getting the extra yard or two. Defensive backs don't like to tackle guys like that. They get hurt. And I think that uh, you need to do that and, and don't worry about how many turns somebody's getting during the game, which they do a lot of rotating on, which I don't like. You know that. I don't like that as a back backs or, or linemen. And linemen, they never rotate. Or receivers, you got to get a feel of the game and you got to be able to come back and say, I can beat this guy on this. So when they run this coverage, I know that this is going to be open. But when you rotate a lot, you want your players to be happy. Don't get me wrong. But what makes them the most happy is when you win. Yeah. They, they're the, the cardboard cutouts were pretty happy for the victory. Uh, people were happy on social media. Uh, you know, we, but there were also people that are upset, like this should never have come to this. And they felt like it was the, it was Groundhog's Day. It was the same thing over and over again. A lot of the same mistakes. Um, you know, the offense we've seen before because it's the same offense, basically. But the defense was new. Unfortunately, like like the, the fans were saying, there's a lot of the same mistakes that we saw before. And a couple of points I want to get to, Coach. 
One is the inability to get off the field in third and long. I thought this Todd Orlando defense would do a better job of that. They did not. And uh, also, I tried to watch the linebackers, and we're I, we're gonna have a question on this. Well, actually, actually, why don't we just let's start off? Let's do third and third and long first, and then I'll uh, I'll bring up the uh, linebacker uh, thing in a second for you, Coach. So do you want like uh, do you want to address the do you notice that the third and long situations they gave up a bunch? Oh, of... Oh, I thought you were gonna play a play a tape. Okay, no, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, you're exactly right, and I think really to tell you the truth, I think. Arizona State hurt themselves by not doing a lot of things that they could have done more of. They sort of played in the second half more of not to lose it and to go on and try to really pour it on the, the Trojans when they were up 27-14. Their leading rusher in the game was Daniels. I mean, on his keep and read option and so on, they could have run that all day. I don't think the Trojans could have stopped that because they were having success with the running backs running the ball for 258 yards. That's not playing good run defense. And I think that, that that they sort of slowed down themselves as far as not spreading the field like you hear me talk all the time and allowing Daniels, which is an athletic quarterback, to really make it tough on you. And now you really got a problem trying to defend the perimeters with a great athlete. So, And I think they should have done it at the end of the game. And I think they might have been down and got that field goal, but they didn't, and they sort of beat themselves. As far as third and long is, is something that you've got to – have a philosophy on how you're going to do it. He didn't want to play man. He was afraid to play a lot of man because if Daniels is running the football, he's going to keep the ball. He's going to run all the way up the field like you saw when they were playing man. Nobody even sees him running. They're trying to cover your back. So they, I think they were afraid to do that. And uh, on the zone type of thing, I think you've got to play a more tighter zone and you've got to be able to disrupt their routes more and you've got to have linebackers that are more active. Right now, when I watch the linebackers, they don't look as though they're that quick as far as being able to get to their positions and cover people and make moves. They don't look like they're as fluid like linebackers should be in a passing situation. I think they should do some substitution with some of the linebackers. And I also don't like uh, Jackson playing where he's playing. I talked with you about that earlier. You hardly knew he was in the game, number 99. Great player, great player in a stand-up type of position. You need to get him loose. You need to turn him loose on the quarterback. You can't have him standing up and sometimes coming, sometimes not. You got to move him down and put him in a defensive stamp when he comes up the field and gives everybody a headache. Inside, outside type of rush, everything that he can do. So I think you limit yourself in, in moving him from being 270, 280 and coming across the line of scrimmage like Leonard Williams used to do than to be out there in a two-point stance and doing too much thinking and not playing football. And I thought he thought too much and didn't play football. Yeah. There, I, going back through the rewatch, I was trying to listen for um, the linebackers being called. And typically what we were seeing out there was uh, two linebackers, Palier, Ote and uh, Raylan Goforth. And we saw some Kanai Mauga come in. Um, there usually was like four defensive linemen uh, so you had like Marlon Tui Pelotu, who played really well, uh, Caleb Tremblay and uh, Nick Figueroa. And then you'd have Austin Jackson kind of on the other side. And then usually you'd have the five defensive backs. Um, you know, you'd have the nickel, uh, you know, Greg Johnson and, you know, the safeties played great. They were making plays, but watching the linebackers and whether it be a, you know, a misdirection where the, they, you know, they, everyone looks like they're leaning to the left and Jaden Daniels fakes the handoff to the left and comes back and does something to the right or vice versa. 
it seems like the linebackers every single time got sucked into that. But besides that, I mean, or a pulling guard would just eliminate one of them and they couldn't shed the block. But it just didn't seem like they were making any plays. I don't even remember a linebacker's name being called until late in the game. And, you know, Sean texted in and said, have the linebackers done anything? I haven't heard their names called hardly at all. And I agree. It didn't seem like it happened much. I think it was the fourth quarter, maybe Raylan Goforth got a tackle for loss. So he made a play. But man, there just weren't a lot of plays. And I thought Todd Orlando getting on these guys, being a linebacker coach, you'd see much more production from the linebackers. And it was whatever they did was sort of quiet production. If it was a big play to be made, it was an Isaiah Polamau or Marlon Tuipolotu or, uh, you know, guys like that were out there making some of the big plays where I just didn't see any of that from the linebackers coach. Well, I agree with you. Uh, the defensive side of the front uh, seven are not the quickest guys. Okay. They lack uh overall team defensive speed up front. I really believe that. That's why I was talking about putting Jackson down and letting him get into the game. When Ufunga's your leading tackler every game where he's making a lot of tackles and where be on your side of the ball. I don't like to see that. You're you've got to be making a lot of tackles with your linebackers and the linemen. Your linebackers are there to make tackles. That's what you call them. That's why they're there and I don't think they're fluid. They were over pursuing some of the plays and you're right on the counter sweeps and the things they did when they pulled those guards, they stepped in there, but they didn't step into the hole. They stepped laterally to guards that already turned up and had a perfect block on them. So you've got to be able to read and do your things, and the counter sweeps really did hurt them a lot. So, yeah, we talked about that. I talked about that a little bit. I don't know just if the speed is there with the linebackers or what, but I think the team speed overall on the defensive front is lacking a bit. They play hard now. Now, don't get me wrong. They're playing hard, but I, I think they're about a half a step slow as far as uh, getting to the ball, and I hope that improves as far as in the future. Yeah. And I don't know how that will if you play the same people because they don't all of a sudden get faster. You, so you think speed is a big part of that? Oh, yes, yeah. definitely. you got to be fast. You watch some of these linebackers now. They're not big and strong. They're they're so fast. They step. In fact, they're lean guys that run down that line of scrimmage and fire across the line of scrimmage. They're playing on their side of the ball. They're not playing football on our side of the line of scrimmage. You got to play on their side of the line of scrimmage, or at least in a neutral type of position. And once you get the running game going and they get sucked up in there, then that's when Daniels and these guys really are dangerous. And play action pass is really dangerous. Because when they get the running game going, and this is why I talk about USC getting the running game going, once you can get those linebackers stepping up in there and having to worry about the run, now the passing game is really going to be tough. So, yeah, I think that's what it is. And, you know, when you run for 258 yards, that's a lot of yards. And and uh, there was two or three backs that got 80, 75 yards, and the quarterback got 111. He could have got 200 if they would have continued running him. The uh, On special teams, I thought they played a lot better. One of the things you just wanted to see was uh, raise up the floor. Don't have these horrible plays. Um, and if you get some great plays, the ceiling is fine. Like, yeah, if you, you could, you're going to have, you have the athletes, you can make some great plays. Um, you know, they got the fumble uh, off the uh, punt return, not really forced or anything, but, you know, you're there to, to make a play. You had a true freshman kicker, you know, make all of his kicks you know, execute a great onside kick that doesn't even sound like uh, they they practiced, um, which 
it's kind of weird. But the you know, and there was a couple bad ones, a couple not great kickoff returns from you know your own end zone that maybe they struggle a little bit and they start inside the the twenty or the twenty five. One kickoff went out of bounds. There was a couple issues on special teams, but nothing like you know the the weekly disaster we <laughs> see in years past. What did you think about Sean Snyder's uh, group? Well, I thought it went well. Uh, and without that onside kick, uh, they'd have lost the football game. So you got to give them a plus there. I don't like kickoffs going out of bounds. That's ridiculous. But I think this new kid, this freshman kid, beat out McGrath. I, I think he can kick the ball out of the end zone. And I think it's what you got to do every time you can. Uh, unless you need the football or field position, and you want him to try to run the ball out where you can nail him inside the 20. Otherwise, you're going to kick the ball out of the end zone. I think he can do that. I think he's got a powerful leg, and I think uh, he wouldn't be playing unless he thought he was the best one, Snyder. So I like that. Uh, I think the punting game, with an average about 46 yards a punt or so on, I thought that was great. Uh, so, yes, I would get a, give it a plus, except for the couple of things I mentioned. I agree with you. Yeah, the, I mean, he did kick the ball deep. Uh, you know, being able to step in and, and execute an onside kick like that. We see guys in the NFL, they can't do it um and you can't recover it i mean well i guess there's some where you kick it forward and you cover it yourself but you just got to put it up there and make it bounce and hope you a play happens and i think it's like an eight percent chance of something like that happening and uh it did on that one so he just he executed it well uh teammates it was really confusing to see who uh, came up with it it looked like chase mcgrath had it at the very end but it might have been quincy jante that that had it first um the, the referees look confused. It looked like it hit one of the referees' legs, maybe. Like, that was a weird one. I could, it's like watching the replay, they never announced who recovered it officially, and it didn't look like – it wasn't obvious from what we were seeing. Well, you know, if you look at that kick, if the Arizona State guy would have just stayed away from that instead of feeling it the way he did, he didn't feel it the right way. He should catch it like a pass, go in, cuddle around it, and go down. He sort of jumped at it out of control – that ball would have rolled out of bounds. But I don't think uh, USC was close enough to get to that football. And if they had just touched it, that would have been enough. You'd have to recover it in bounds. But it did go the 10 yards. There was no question about that. But uh, that's, that's what you coach off of today. You sit back with the tapes and you show everybody why you won and you show everybody why you lost. Yeah. And uh, these are the things that you have to come up with the next day. It came down to one play. If you get the onside kick, you win. Or if you're USC, if you get the onside kick, uh, you lose if you're Arizona State. So, you know, it comes down to that, and the kid did it, and it worked out right for USC, and they won the football game. So all those little things that you talk about that you don't think that are important, they're really important, and you do them right. You don't have to do a lot of things, but you got to do them right. You do, and uh, USC end up getting shut out in the third quarter. Obviously, the flurry, the, the two touchdowns, in the last three minutes, we talked about the tip pass to to Brew McCoy, and then the ridiculous Drake London fingertip catch. You know, after another fourth down play, two fourth down touchdowns in the fourth quarter. I mean, it just it was basically as if you were going to write a script, like as dramatic as you wanted it to be. There you go. That's basically what the script writers would have would have done. But USC could have had a little closer. And Andrew in San Diego texted in that why didn't they take the points? Three points down by 10 late in the third quarter. And I believe USC was like at the six-yard line at the time or, or about there. I didn't have an issue with going for it, Coach. I know a lot of people – I didn't see a lot of people saying it before, like on Twitter saying, hey, 
kick the field goal, I think usually you just kind of want to go for it. If it's fourth and one, I you're at home. I, I just felt like they could have gone for it. I didn't. I don't mind them not taking the points. I'm not going to try to second guess that decision. Obviously, they didn't get it. But what were, what was your thoughts on that one? I feel just like you do. You got to have two scores, and uh, right now, if I'm in a position, am I going to get any closer than this? I better get the score right now when I can get it. Make it or break it, I tell my guys. Let's go after it. And uh, I think it was, uh, I'd have done that. To be honest with you, I'd have made that call. I know he's getting, people are asking him questions on the, the post-game interviews on that and so on. If you damned it, if you do, and you damned if you don't. If you made it, I would have just asked him. My answer was, what, did it work out all right or didn't it? And uh, if I didn't make it, I'd have probably said, uh, you know, you, I, I should give that a second thought. I probably didn't. But he made it. So I think that's what's important. And, and let's be positive. Let's don't get negative. Yeah. I mean, fourth and one, you're at the six. Like, you're at home. You're a better team. I, no issues going for it. But, yeah, you got to make it. Uh, they, I think they had to go for it eight times. Were they like five of eight on fourth down or something? Like, absolutely uh, crazy. What was the, uh, you know, yeah, a five of eight on fourth down conversions. Uh, but I think one of those was a fumble. I don't know. Maybe that doesn't count as a conversion. I don't know. But it, he had the first down and then fumbled the ball. So I don't remember if that one counted uh, or not. Um, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and answer some questions, Coach, back in a minute. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle podcast. We answered a couple of text questions already that kind of went along with uh, what was going on here. And we have our our buddy, Sergeant Rodney Strong. Uh, he wrote in twice. He said, a win is a win, and I'll take a win. But how does a 14-point underdog damn near beat USC? It took Bruce McCoy standing in the right place at the right time to catch a deflected pass in the end zone. I see holes all in SC's game, and it starts with coaching. I love being a USC fan and the team, but the win left a horrible taste in my mouth. What positives can I take from the ASU game? This is going to be a long season, it seems. Actually, Rodney, it's not going to be. It's going to be really short. But um, he said, after rewatching the game, I must say we got some awesome talent on our team. Just the raw talent alone kept our boys in the game. And that I must say is a very good sight. But boy, oh boy, new season, same old coaching. The exterior looks polished, but under the hood, it's still, he said crap, but I think he means crap. Uh, I'm trying to be hopeful here for the leadership of our $3.5 million head coach. He actually makes more than that. Sorry, Rodney. Uh, but this wasn't a championship team. I hope we win out, but if we can't get more disciplined and technically sound, we will get slapped around. Thanks, guys, and fight on. Well, you know, I looked at a couple of things that uh... – Wanted to see, uh, I have tried to observe everything. I thought the sideline discipline was a lot better than what it was last year. I like to be positive on the things that I like to see get better. Uh, the offense and the defensive actually came off the field and sat with their coaches and and they met with them and so on on adjustments uh, and what they need to do. Uh, I don't like people standing in front of my head coach. Uh, as far as if I'm a head coach, I want to, be able to walk along the sideline. Uh, actually, when you watch Clay Helton, I don't even know if he can see a lot of times what's going on. There's so many people in front of him and running around, and I don't like that whatsoever. Uh, he needs to have more sideline discipline as far as him being in charge and being able to know what play's been called, what's exactly going on, and then uh, be into the game as far as 
what he's telling his coordinators, and I'm not saying that he's not telling his coordinators, but he's got to have a clear view of the of the scoreboard, of the replays, of the conversations with the officials, uh, control with his assistant coaches and all of that, and I think that's something they can work on. Uh, but uh, I don't think it's the same old thing. I, I think they were more physical. I thought they tackled better. Uh, there was not a lot of penalties, nine penalties in the whole game, five, five uh, SE out of 59 yards. In fact, the one penalty, McKenzie got actually gave them the opportunity to have more room to throw that that zone pass down the field for a touchdown. And uh, ASU caused the penalty that gave them that free Hail Mary type of thing, that free play that, uh, that McCoy caught for a touchdown. So luck was on their side. Both of those worked out to the best one on ASU and one on on USC as far as penalties. So who knows? Uh, You know, we have to wait and see. You've got to be able to see what happens. The talent is there. It's just utilizing the talent on the offensive side of the football. I thought the secondary guys really played hard. I really did. Uh, and and I, I still look at the things and say the same things. And you're sick of hearing me tell you this. You can't win by just throwing the football, throwing the ball 55 times. You just can't do it. You've got to be able to run the football where you get more respect, and they can't run just defenses to stop the passing game. Remember, BYU did that last year, and everybody's followed their suit, everybody. So unless you develop that throw offense, outside, inside, the whole thing, running game, inside, outside, bootlegs, the quarterback carrying the football, if Trevor Lewis, if Justin Fields, if all these other valuable Heisman Trophy candidates can run the football, why can't Ken and Solis? That's what makes you good. Yeah, you're taking a chance, but that's what it's all about. You got to win, and you got to be able to do those things. So, will that happen? I don't. I don't think it will. Let me ask you this question: If J.T. Daniels would have been on the sideline, do you think he might have been put in the game on Saturday? Who knows? He's third club at Georgia. Let's move on. Yeah, they. I thought they would get uh get him in the game, and they didn't. Uh, they didn't do that. Uh, Slovis had uh what he net twenty one yards. Right, he had he had. Uh, I think he was sacked three times, but he had uh, three rushes. Um, he had that twenty four yarder. Uh, that that was a pretty good one. So he, you know, he moved around but a little. He's running bit. for his life. Those aren't design. <laughs> he's running for his life. Okay, I'm talking about design. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. running for your life. Yeah, he was definitely uh, running for his life. Uh, at times so uh, that you know I I thought he was pretty effective but just not as sharp I was a little surprised at Jane Daniels not being as um, you know he only threw for what 134 yards there and it was just like um, you know it yeah that that to me was was interesting. They actually gave him a, a 55 yard touchdown pass. I think they changed it on the stat sheet because it was really a, a backwards pass that ended up going as a run. But um, yeah, I think once Frank Darby went down, they were, uh, he had one catch for two yards there. You know, he's their veteran receiver. Once he went down and they were relying on all those freshmen, um, you know, he didn't get help from, uh, you know, Johnny Wilson. I don't think he had a catch in the, in the game. He's that six, seven guy, the freshman, he had, balls go through his hands and so it, it just didn't seem like the passing game for Arizona State was clicking but you had a lead and it's easier to play with the lead they ran the football they would throw little screens and things like that and that worked out well but in the end with a minute 20 left and then you're down and you have to push the ball down the field it looked like the USC defense did a, a much better job there 
No, I I agree, and uh, you know you got to take it really when you look at the game. They won, they won the game. Uh, they you know time of possession USC had and and so on, but you know they should have won the game. I know they're talking about that all week. We should have won this game. We should have won this game. And USC is looking and say it's a miracle we won that game. When you're realistic, you got to be realistic, really. But it they it, that's what happens. That's what football's all about. That's why it's so exciting. If you watch a Notre Dame game last night, exciting. That's what college football, how can Indiana, how can Purdue, how can Northwestern be undefeated? How can Penn State be 0-3? I mean, you think they don't have problems today, some of those teams? How about Michigan State after getting beat 49-7? to You think Michigan's got some problems today? How would you like to go into staff meeting in Michigan today with Arbaugh? So these type of things happen. So you got to be fortunate to be able to win, maybe not play your best game, Maybe make some mistakes. You need to get better. So you got to take the win and smile. Yeah. All right, let's go to a voicemail, Coach. Here you go. Hey, Ryan and Harvey. Great comeback by the kid. But and I'm sure you're getting the same voicemails from everybody else. When is the coaching staff, I was hoping the new assistants would make a difference. When are they going to tell the kids to quit dancing when they're down 13 points or to quit saying bye-bye at the end of the game when they hung on by the skin of their teeth? When are they going to get some discipline? That's the number one problem I see with Clay Helton right now. Thank you, guys. Love the show. Fight on. Well, it's a, it's not a, uh, it's a different, it's not a uh, Brian Kelly program. It's not a uh, Nick Saban program. It's not one of those Urban Meyer programs or whatever. It's a I don't want to call it loosey goosey, but it's a different it's a different personality of your head football coach and the relationships he has with his players and his assistant coaches and his staff that surrounds him. And uh, uh the discipline portion of it, a lot of things uh must not be important as far as to Coach Clay Helton, as far as winning, as far as the, the dress of his players and what players wear and the colors of the different socks, one up, one down, all the different things that I know a lot of programs do it, but you don't see those programs at certain programs, okay? You don't see that. It's not the uniform. It's the person in the uniform and the discipline in the program. And I think it all starts with that. I mean, when I used to start sometimes practice, and I'm not saying that I did it the right way. This is the way I did it, and I'm more old school. And if you see a lot of the winners out there, they're old school guys playing uh, they coached at uh, old-school type of programs, like Dabo, Dabo Sweeney came from Alabama. When you look at the background of some of these guys, that's what they're doing. And I think that if you were looking for a straight discipline, then, you know, uh, you you got you to gotta follow through on all levels, what you wear, how you line up, how you act, uh, what you do, what videos you send out, your interviews, uh, the whole thing. It's just not one package, and you you don't see that with the USC program because the head coach doesn't think probably that's important. But it is important as far as for some viewers like yourself and people that watch the program, and they think that's really important. I'm one that thinks it's real important. I think you're a team. I think your toes are on the line. I think your socks are pulled up. I think your jerseys are tucked in if they're supposed to be tucked in. I think your helmet should be buckled if I – if that's what the team rule is. I think you're supposed to be standing behind the head coach, nobody encroaching on the area where the officials can work the game and your coaches can coach the game. See, all of those type of things, that's all happens before you snap a football. You haven't even snapped the football to run a play 
that you've got that out there. And I'm not saying it's the only way, but Lou Holtz and all the old-time guys, this is the way it was. Don James, uh, you take uh, Shaw, uh, Shaw at Stanford, that's the way it is. And uh, I think that uh, some people do it differently. But at a high uh, image type of program like USC, I think it sticks out a little bit more because everybody watches it and expects it to happen. Now, I like Clay Helton, and I like him as a person. And I don't always agree with some of the things he does, but he doesn't always agree with some of the things I say. So uh, that's that's the way I am. Maybe you're that way. Maybe you're not that way. I'm one that looks at everything. I mean, the treatment of the Heisman trophies, uh, all the different things that surround the program at USC, to me, is what's important and what makes a difference. Uh, in, in a lot of little things are like termites. If you have termites, they'll eat down a building, okay? Get rid of all the little things and don't let that happen. Yeah. All right, Coach, let's see. Why don't we go to a uh, another email? This is from uh, BTEL, uh, Soft Offense. Hey, Parastel Team, long listener, first-time writer here. Well, thanks for writing in. Uh, anyone else notice zero aggression from the offense against ASU? Screens against the zone, cross routes after cross routes, What's your take on the offense playing so flaccid and uninspired? That's from Betel. Well, you know, my feeling is when you have such great hype, and this is one thing that they do in the sports information department and everybody in the media, they've given such great hype. They've got a Heisman Trophy candidate. They've got the greatest receivers in America. they got this, they got that. Everybody expects everything to happen big time, and sometimes it doesn't happen big time. Sometimes uh, the ripe... Uh, uh, calls are made on the offensive side of the football and the quarterback is having an off day and the offensive line isn't as good as what they thought they were. You know, like I've said, you know, when you go against your own guys so many times on the offensive line and the defensive line, you don't know whether you're good or bad until you play somebody else. Now you have an actual opinion of how bad or how good you are in certain adjustments you make, how the game went, how good is your offensive line, how good is your defensive line, how quick are your linebackers? All of this day of things. How was your play calling? How was your communication with the press box? All of this. So I, I think that, uh, yes, I agree. And if you listen to the game or watch the game on television, you heard the announcers talking about it continuously. That was a very intelligent group of announcers as far as diagnosing and breaking down it for you. It was that they would show you the films of exactly or the replays of what was happening and you can see that. So you got a good description of exactly what I'm trying to explain to you. And that's probably why you asked the question. When well, you don't run crossing routes or unless you run crossing routes and you sit down in the open area, which you don't run to the other guy's zone who's waiting for you. So there's a lot of different things you can do and, and you know, and, and, and you talk about it. And I think there's too much rotation going on on the offensive side of the football. Like I said earlier, I think guys get a feel of playing the football game. And when you rotate or you change too much, you don't really get a feel of what to do or what that didn't work last time because I did this. And the next guy's in there and he does the same thing, but he didn't learn. So uh, I, that's what I feel. Yeah. And uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, speaking of rotation, our last question uh, comes from our buddy Curtis. He, there's someone he wanted to see in the game more. Let me play this for you, coach. Hey, Curtis from Moreno Valley. As you guys can see, we're going to see drop eight and drop seven zones for the rest of the season. As long as we run that rate, 
we had to run on it. We ran okay, but we didn't use all our running backs either. Keenan Christian should have got some fly sweeps like he gave to Brew McCoy. Screen passes. You got to beat the zone. You're going to get it all the time. And um, what else? Hey, I know the fans are going to be mad at the coach because they didn't play very well, but we got the victory. They came back. You got to give it to them. No excuses this year. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, Curtis, thank you very much for checking in with us. Uh, if you didn't call, I'd worry about you, okay? When you do that, I text you and say, how you doing? You okay? But I really think you you ask uh, good questions, and people like to know why they don't run more screens. And I've talked about screens, not the outside bubble screens, but screens to the backs for setting it up because they were getting such a rush from the Arizona State defensive linemen that you step your back up there and and you pull out, count 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, short side, wide side, and, and you slow down the rush guys, and you, you are uh, should run more screens. And they ran one draw that picked up about 10 yards. I thought it did. I think if you're going to throw the football a lot, you've got to mix them up. You've got to slow down the defensive front by running draws and screens, like Curtis says, not outside screens, inside screens. That way you bring your linebackers up more. They don't drop as fast, and the middle of the field is going to be more open as far as where you're tied in and other people there as far as the middle of the field. So I agree 100% with that. That's just something they haven't put in their package. I haven't seen it for the last couple of years, and unless you run it and unless you practice it, it all comes down to blocking and timing you're not good at it, okay? It's all timing and working on it and believing in it as far as setting it up. So I know darn well, I'll tell you one thing for sure, it slows down the rush because they're big play type of plays when you're in those screen plays. Thank you, Curtis. Yeah, thanks, Curtis, for the call and uh, all the questions. And Coach, we actually got to talk about a real football game. Like, it's crazy. It was 9 a.m., I had uh, maybe I had a little mimosa, I had a little breakfast burrito, which was good. Uh, you know, didn't work afterwards, but it was kind of cool to be able to get things sort of done uh, early. I don't know what what were your overall thoughts on the, you know, having to watch a game like that or cover a game like that at nine a.m. Well, I tell you, it made it a long day. Seemed like a long day. Right now, the game would have been over with. Can you imagine that? It's about twelve thirty right now. It would have been over with, and I would have been getting ready for the next game, uh, whoever was playing. In that situation, I was getting ready to watch UNLV play, Fresno State, and other games. So uh, it's a lot of football on a Saturday. Uh, I think they got national exposure. Didn't help them much in the polls. But uh, I thought they played a pretty good football team. I think Arizona State's a good football team. I really well coached, play hard. I respect their coaches a lot. So I think it was a nice victory. Again, there's a lot of luck that goes along with it, but I'll tell you luck. I'd rather be lucky than good. And uh, it happened. So now uh, they're in a position now where you look at their schedule where it could be a great year. There's, uh, you know, they're, you're in a position where you can win. So uh, I want to, you know, say that and let's make sure we don't screw it up. I think that's the best way. You got lucky. You got a W. Now don't screw it up. I think that's the best way to say it. Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, Good stuff. This is, uh, what does it mean? You know, we, at this point, we don't know. Like you said, the Pac-8, there was two games canceled. And now, you know, we don't know. We got to go into this week and see 
teams traveled? Do, you know, does a, a Utah or a Cal, can they come off of the, you know, the, their quarantine stuff and can they suit up and, and play the next game? Um, all that kind of stuff. You know, Arizona will be, it'll be their opener. They were trying to do something to maybe play Washington, even though they play in week three, but that wasn't able to, to happen. So we might see a couple more Pac-12 games, but so far USC hasn't been affected. Hopefully, uh, we'll, you know, we'll be able to get all these games in, but the teams that USC plays have already been affected and there's a potential coach for USC to have play three teams that it's their opener for the season. Uh, because they, you know, obviously it was Arizona state's opener and USC's opener, but now they both have a game under their belt next week. It'll be Arizona's opener because they didn't get to play in week one. And if Utah is unable to go this week, uh, against, uh, I believe the, I believe, um, UCLA, UCLA, if they're not able, they're not able to play UCLA this week, then Utah's opener in week three would be against USC. So, That'd be kind of a lucky break, and I know a lot of fans feel like uh, this team has got a, luck, a lot of lucky breaks already. Just the way they won that game, there's a lot of lucky breaks. But yeah, the the schedule itself is pretty lucky that it's pretty easy, and now it might just be getting a little bit easier. Hey, let me ask you: Do they have a game time yet for the Arizona game? They didn't a while ago. Do they have one yet? I have not seen one yet. So we are recording this. Uh, just you know, we're around lunchtime on Sunday, but it should be out a little bit later today. So we should know the Arizona game time. But there was, I think, four of the Pac-12 games were the six-day windows uh, picked by the network. So, and the USC Arizona game was one of those. I was just wondering who's going to be the nine o'clock game if they have one this week. I don't know who that would be. Yeah, I don't think they will. I think if it's going to be a nine o'clock game, they're going to schedule that in advance, and it's going to be a big, uh, you know, matchup. So, like, if looking at the schedule, um, you know, real quick for week two, USC Arizona, that's not a big enough game. Like Cal ASU could have been one. Like that's a that's a good game, um, but we don't even know if Cal is going to be able to to play like Stanford, Colorado wouldn't be good enough. Washington state, Oregon, no Oregon state, Washington. Um, yeah. So I don't think, and like you said, Utah, Utah and UCLA is on a Friday. So, uh, I, I don't think anything were candidates, but I believe coach those have to be, I believe they're determined before like the six day window, at least two weeks out for the 9am. Yeah, I think they would have to do that as far as arrangements also and practice and arrangements as far as getting to a game and, uh, all of the above. But again, Ryan, I want to thank you. I want to thank all our listeners out there. Congratulations to USC 1-0. There's nothing better than being 1-0. I don't care what happened during the game. You're 1-0. Those are the things you got to get better at. Let's see if you can do it. I think that's what everybody's looking forward to. Sounds good. All right. That's the Coach Harvey Hyde. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. If you're listening to it on Sunday, we're going to have our live show, Breaking Down the Game Tunnel Vision, Sunday night, 7 p.m. We'll be live on YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. Make sure you check that out. We'll also put it up in podcasting forum. And then all our regular shows throughout the week uh, heading into the Arizona game. But that's the coach. I'm Ryan. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. 
To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.ihsbire, which spells inspire2022.org. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 